how do you advance in food service? Like not even just as a woman, but you know, in food services, you know, you gotta be willing to take on the hard stuff. Don't shy away from the hard stuff because it, it, those types of projects will get you cross cross departmental exposure that will, you won't have to advocate for yourself. People, you won't have to tell your story. Other people will speak to how successful and, and what you did to make that successful. Episode 51 at Winning at Work. Today we have Christy Waters. She's the Vice President of Sales for the Western Region for ProAct. ProAct is North America's leading distributor of fresh food to the food service and retail industries. They source from premier national, regional, and local farmers. The topic today is particularly of interest to women who work in a male-dominated space. And Christy would tell you this is not just an exercise in learning if you're just in food and beverage. You could be in any industry, although, of course, I am a headhunter. I specialize in food and beverage, and most of my executives and my guests, they are in the food and beverage space because that's where a lot of my audience is. But it doesn't matter what industry that you work in, the skills, traits, and attitudes, and mindsets that you learn from these guests, you can easily apply. They're cross transferable to any industry that you work in. And Christy wanted that to be very clear. Sit back and enjoy this great story of competing and winning in a male-dominated space. Christy, welcome in. Hi, thanks, Tony. You know, if you're just kind of working in an industry and you're not really paying attention, you might look around and say, you know, I'm just going to succeed based on you know, hard work and merits, but then you look around and you realize, Hey, I'm a little different. (laughs) There's not a lot of women. (laughs) Uh, and so hopefully you can shed some light on this, uh, in in this very competitive uh, space that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get started, tell us a little bit about the company you work for ProAct. Sure. So ProAct, we are a national services company. So think of it like a spoke in a wheel, but it all is tied to perishable distribution. So primarily in the perishable goods space, so fruits, vegetables, dairy, eggs, etc. And we connect suppliers like a Sunkist, a DiRigo, all the way to the end user. And we have independently owned and operated distributors that are a member of that group that do the distribution for us on that end. What's the difference between, say, a a distributor and a broker? The difference in a distributor and a broker is distributor takes ownership of the actual goods themselves, and a broker is the middleman negotiating the actual buy to the sell. In your role here, the ProAct's role in this ecosystem, how do you facilitate that transaction from the growers into the distribution network? Well, we negotiate with the actual growers themselves, the FOB or the prices for pickup for the actual distributors, and we act as a national procurement arm for those distributors to be able to leverage those pricing. But the distributors, because we are a member-owned and operated company by the distributors, um, think of it as a similar to what a board would be for any other major national company or things of that nature. So we act as the procurement arm for negotiation for them to do the purchase, the pickup, the sell of that product. 
And our business model is even more unique than that because when distributors become a member or they do business with ProAct, we also have other arms with food safety and crisis management tools they can lean on with us. There is a national account sales team that works on new business for national accounts in the food service space. We even have organics. We have um, conventional products. We have a whole sustainability arm, et cetera. So we, we, can, we can do a lot of different things and bring a lot of different value to the entire supply chain community. Why don't you give us kind of just a, a little bit of a walkthrough of how you've gotten to where you are in your current position, and then maybe that'll kind of lead us into really, if if you're a female working in this industry, maybe they can learn some things just even from from hearing your backstory. Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, one thing I want to mention is that my story is not specific to produce. It's very transferable to other industries that typically have a male-dominated male-dominated workforce within it. So for my story, I worked as a bartender. So I was working in food service, front of the house food service at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, which I'm sure everyone that listens to this podcast knows who Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is. And, <laughs> and, and a gentleman that was acquiring a company in my local community was looking to hire people. And he liked hiring diversity. He liked hiring people from the actual restaurant industry. and He liked being able to mentor and groom these individuals to grow. So within a couple of weeks, this gentleman hired me and we grew the business together um, as a team. We built a team out and through a series of acquisitions and startup distribution centers in the Southeast, we grew, like I said, quite quickly, and um, I was given the opportunity to have exposure into everything from operations to the sales side of the business, which is primarily where I got my start, all the way to the purchasing side, and then was exposed to the national account arena, which is how I ended up with my connection with ProAct now. This was, you know, gosh, it's crazy to think about 18 years ago. No, oh, you didn't have to date yourself, but you did. I know, I know, I know. It's just Rule it's number crazy one, to... let people believe in the illusion. <laughs> but that's how it started, right? Very, uh, very much kind of a bootstrap type of career. You just put in, you know, just put in the hard work and met the right people to start with. Yeah, and, you know, and willing, it was my willingness to ask questions and to really dig in, like you said, put on the boot, you know, pull up your bootstraps and really learn different facets because this industry is its a very hands-on, you have to get in the mud and you do have to get dirty um, in order to, to succeed and learn it and to be successful. So walk us into how you were able to move into the VP role, right? Because you transitioned from Gulf Coast produce distributors into, into ProAct. So what, what's been the kind of the secret sauce for you? Because of the level of visibility that I was able to gain from my career, I had that level of visibility to ProAct. So the the company that I worked for originally was a member of the organization that I am with now. And I attribute the success of being able to work my way into a position like this because the, the gentlemen, the mentors that I've had, female and male, that have seen the hard work that I've put into it, my wherewithal to really learn all the different 
parts of supply chain and the inner workings of that. They saw that value as well as the innovation that I bring to or that I have brought to different businesses that I've worked with has gave me the exposure to to get the attention of the C-suite team at the company that I work for now, which is how I was able to get into the position that I'm in. I think people know, you know, how important it is to have mentors, but everyone uses them differently and they all play a different role. I think that's actually, you know, quite fascinating as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think mentor to a certain degree gets a little overused. I think in, in this type of, in this type of situation for me, it wasn't just a mentor. It was also finding an advocate. I think advocate is, is from my perspective, the best thing that I was able to do. And, and in saying that, an advocate is going to be someone that is not just going to mentor you, right? To teach you what you need to know about the industry, to give you advice when you're in tough situations, but they're also going to expose you in such a way that it allows for you to be seen without saying, look at me. And in, in the roles that I've had and the companies that I've worked for, and, and look, it's not necessarily a female. It can be men. It isn't gender specific of who that person can be. It's just someone that A, sees your value, is gender blind, and understands what you can do and what you can bring to the table for a company or for an industry specifically. Yeah, an advocate is much more powerful, you're right, than a mentor. Did it, did it always start that way? It, it did. It, it really, really did for me. You know, going back to the original company that I first got my start from a professional standpoint, it was they were mentoring me first. And then as that person had to take on a bigger role within the company because they were the owner, then we started to build an infrastructure out. And he aligned me with another gentleman. And that was very important for him was to give the people that worked for him a voice so they could speak for themselves, coach them to make sure that their voice is heard appropriately, and also educate them on how to align themselves with other people within the company so you can get buy-in from the group. So then again, you're not having to use your ego to promote yourself. Instead, it's others that are, that are speaking on your behalf. You're being exposed to the right people in the right situations where you're able to just let yourself shine and do what you do best rather than just using your energy just to get in front of them. Because then you kind of look like a me person and no one wants a me person. They want, you know, team oriented people. So I think you were really the, the beneficiary of, of, of some great early company cultures, really. I mean, in, in some ways you might say, you know, one of the ways to, rise is to, you know, be very picky almost about who you work for. That's a good point. It's a really good point. I had a professional development coach that I also brought in a couple of years ago. And one thing that he reminded me of and that other people have reminded me of, and I think this has really become even more important as the generational changes with people that are coming into the workforce. But, you know, You've got to find a company that also fits with your own personal ethos and is a good cultural fit for your personality and for your values is basically what that means. Oh, I feel like I'm talking to my purpose coach right here, Christy. You're where it always happens. It's like you just cannot separate. You can't just separate who you are as a person and your values and go to work for a company that doesn't align with that. You can you? 
Well, you can, but obviously you're more successful when, when you find it. So that, I think that's kind of hard to find. I mean, how do you, I mean, I'm sure people are thinking, well, how do I interview for that? How do I even begin to, you know, uncover that with people that I don't know? Yeah, it's difficult, right? But with technology, this, this day and age with, I mean, believe it or not, LinkedIn, you know, with, with LinkedIn specifically, like you can get on there and you can, if you can find people that work for that company, when you're going through the interview process to identify culture, look at if they're celebrating each other, if they're giving recommendations to each other, if they're recommending their boss or giving, you know, giving them props for lack of a better term, you know, and, and looking online and seeing what other people are saying about the company, finding people that don't necessarily work for the company, but that use that company services, products, et cetera, and see what they say about it. Like there's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you can dig in if you're willing to be a detective and really find out what the true culture of that, that organization's like. And it does take a little bit of work and you have to move beyond Glassdoor because I find most people on Glassdoor are just kind of disgruntled anyway. So angry, very angry. <laughs> just <Glassdoor>. angry people. <laughs> I mean, don't go to Glassdoor when you're interviewing. You're just, you're going to hate the company. You're just not, you just can't make everybody happy. Um, that's a great, uh, a great tip because you, you do have to kind of see who is kind of promoting, you know, are the internal people promoting? If not, then maybe it's just, it is literally just a job and it's, you know, and it, it's not a career. So you've obviously been exposed to some great companies like that. And that has enabled you, right, to let your natural skills and abilities kind of shine. You're putting, you're being put in front of people. Um, so walk us through really what's happened for you at ProAct. What has enabled you now to move into, into this role. Cause I know there was a, you know, kind of a big press announcement for you when you came out and that's a, it's a big moment. I mean, people work very hard in their careers to reach VP. So what specifically um, kind of helps you get, get to that point? So part of the ProAct model is that, you know, we are, we are owned by, by a group of distributors, a group of members. So think, like I said earlier, think of it as a board, you know, with a sitting board on it. But these, these companies at the time were very vested in the business and, you know, being on the distributor side where I was and with that specific mentor that I mentioned earlier, who was bringing me to industry events, who was introducing me to these business owners, these critical thinkers in our industry and these influencers in our industry, these these different companies that are a part of the organization that I work for now saw my value and the positive asset that I could bring to ProAct. And again, you know, the the senior leadership at, at ProAct now was a part of that. And they called me up immediately when the position was open, they called me up and it was, hey, we've you, you know the model, you've been involved in the business, you know, we all believe in what you can do and we've seen what you can do. How would you like to interview for the position and, and come and work at, at ProAct? And it happened very quickly. I mean, they literally within seven to 10 days, because of all the work I'd done through the years, you have to be patient too. I think a, a lot of people forget that you don't get into a successful role overnight. And I, I think, again, back to the generational thing, the the immediate satisfaction from what, and not to get philosophical, but the immediate satisfaction that people get from social media and from the internet, et cetera, of, of how you can get something on the spot that they tend to lose the patience and don't want to do the work 
and the effort behind getting into the role that you want long term. And I had the ability and I was and I was given the opportunity to work from the ground up in order to get where I am today. And without all of the things that I had done through my career, I would not be successful in this role at all. And again, without the people that were willing to take a chance on me. Where has this innovation come out? Can you give us some examples now of, of where you've been, um, you know, adding that value back in? Yeah. Yeah. So part of about being successful in the type of role that I am in with ProAct is you have to be able to influence many, many people to get something accomplished. So we've done a huge invoice data expansion project. And the goal of it was to get ahead of blockchain and to have full transparency in what we're doing. So when a recall occurs, to be able to implement that recall and be able to tell an end user customer, or quite frankly, a distributor, if they were touched and who that product was sold to from the recall. Also, we have a big sustainability push. We have a department within our company called Greener Fields Together, and it's all about local purchasing, the sustainable practices associated with growing produce, et cetera. And we, we're, by doing this project, we would be able to also tell them where they're sourcing their product from and how close it was to home through um, different fields that we created through this, this invoice expansion project. So I, t- I tell this story because it was a project that people had been asking for customers, distributors, suppliers, et cetera, because the supplier community has been ahead of this for a very long time. But they've been asking for it, and everyone always said it couldn't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. If you can take a project that is said to not be able to be done, and you truly believe in the value of that project, and you have the ability to influence others in other departments, within other organizations, et cetera, to see the value and move forward with you on it and be successful with it, it goes back to that that old attaché that I said earlier. Instead of having to say, look at me, you've given yourself exposure from across companies, cross-departmentally, et cetera, and you've been able to show the success in that in that project itself. And it, it has. We've, we've completed the project. It's successful. You know, we're continuing to work and clean that data up and still heavily involved in it, but it touched procurement. It touched sales. It touched IT and it touched finance to a certain degree. Yeah, working through a multi-company, multi-department project like that, if you don't have any kind of reference power, any sort of that transformational leadership quality, then people just aren't going to follow you because these aren't people that you can necessarily control, right? These are different departments, different companies, so they have to willingly participate in this. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's the skill that people have to hone. And now we also had talked a little bit about um, some of the other skills, though, that you have developed in this industry. And I'm very, I, I really would love for you to share some of those with, with us um, in your role uh, as vice president of sales. Tell us a little bit about you know, what it takes to be successful as a VP of sales within this, within this industry and some of the uh, big wins that you've had? Listening. Listening is the biggest skill that I have had to hone. And everyone knows people like to talk intrinsically no matter what. And we all struggle with sitting back and just listening sometimes. So really listening and asking the right questions to get the right information in order to tailor what you do 
to the, the person that you, that you, that you are needing to work with your company. So that's the sales aspect of it. Right. Um, and in, in saying that, you know, it's not about people have to remember, it's not about your company. I mean, yes. And all be all you're trying to sell increased revenue, et cetera, but it's about what the other person on the other side needs. How can you make their life easier? How can you grow their business? How can you generate more revenue for them? You know, what pain points does that person on the other side have that you can alleviate? And what do you have that alleviates that for them? Why also making sure that you are the expert and you sound, you do, and you are knowledgeable about what you are talking about because of all the different facets of the business that I've, that I've worked in in the past, I am able to speak to a distributor customer, a national account sales end user customer, even a supplier to connect those dots because of the experience that I've grown through the years um, in this industry. Yeah, I think that the challenge that people have is getting those uh, executives and those leaders to open up and to share with them just what some of those problems are. And you seem to be able to do that. You obviously worked with some of them in the past, but do you have any tips or advice to help maybe um, more junior salespeople or maybe mid-level salespeople kind of get that conversation started? How do they position themselves to to reach that point where they the end customer will open up to them? Yeah, and this sounds so childish and so elementary, but having a standardization to what you do and how you approach a cold call and a first meeting, et cetera. Because believe it or not, what you'll learn as you get more tenured and you get more experience in sales and management for that standpoint, sales or management, is that you tend to ask the same questions anyways. And depending on the segment of business or the segment that the company falls within, they tend to sort of have the same pain points associated with that. So then you start to practice and you start to learn and it becomes second nature to you to have these types of meaningful conversations, not superficial, but very meaningful, deep conversations about the business that, that those, those folks are in. Yeah, it really, it just really does come from kind of living and working and breathing in the problems that they're having. So that when you, you do talk to them, you've talked to others, right? So you're not just coming in cold. And I think that's the point. You just can't start off as a new salesperson and not know the industry, you probably should spend a lot of time talking to other stakeholders and other people who are maybe downstream of the final decision maker, just so you can get all that information. Because what you're talking about takes, um, it takes time for you to build up your, your knowledge base, right? So you can come across as credible and and understanding of what they're dealing with. And even, and even at the level that, you know, myself and my counterparts that are at now, I still do the same thing. I still ask the same questions. One of my biggest questions that I always go to is educate me about your business. You know, even though I may already know the answer to the question, I go ahead and ask it because you might learn something new and then it makes it relevant for the person on the other line of the conversation there that you're having. And it allows for you to automatically dovetail into that conversation. You know, what, how you can help them in those, in those different areas. You never know. Something could have changed or shifted in that business. And had you just gone in, assuming you knew you might miss, you know, an, an even bigger opportunity. 
Uh, speaking of opportunities, um, just out of curiosity, I know there's so much disruption. Everything is happening in the food space, in, in the food service space right now. What are you seeing? So if you look at re- the retail arena first, so when with produce sales specifically, sales obviously shifted from people going out to eat, so disposable income, to having to cook at home. And meal replacement services grew dramatically, et cetera. But from a retail perspective, because people were so concerned with health and cross-contamination, the, the, the need to have less touch points on product was super important. Also, they're having to buy more in bulk because you have more people at home. So it wasn't just buying a single apple. It was buying pre-bagged in like a five-pound bag apple. You know, it wasn't just buying a whole head of romaine. It's I've also got to – I'm working from home. I've got to take care of my kids and make sure they're learning from home. And I've got to be able to have dinner really, really quickly. What do I do? That I'm buying, you know, pre-packaged salads. I'm buying pre-cut fruit. You know, I'm – I'm quickly buying a rotisserie chicken, you know, and that's something that can throw a meal together very, very quickly at home. And then from the, the food service space. So people that typically were, were, were set up for casual dining, quick service, all those different segments of business, business and industry. So hospitality, hotels, et cetera, obviously a lot of those shuttered and not to belabor what happened in COVID, but what all of these businesses have learned our, our business included, our company included, is how to work leaner and smarter. You know, also a movement towards, you know, less touch points in the product. So when you're working with less labor, how you can look at more pre-cut products in a bulk environment. And also pre-packaged goods, the same as it was in retail, you know, grab-and-go yogurt cups. I think my last big travel trip for work actually was in October of last year. I ended up going to Seattle, which was a hotbed. And in the hotel, they didn't have room service, but they had this huge grab-and-go cooler up front. And it had, again, salads, sandwiches, individually portioned wine, beer, sodas, yogurts, et cetera, versus having, you know, an area that you could go and, you know, grab a product or get a coffee made. So those are the different things that we, that we've seen, you know, as more GPO spaces, businesses that manage concert arenas, sporting events, things of that nature, you know, they have a higher sense of, you know, what they're going to have to do going in. There's a lot of, there's less using of cash. I went to spring training here in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago and you couldn't use cash oh, anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't use, you, you couldn't use cash anywhere. Like you, even to go and pay for parking, they had credit card machines set up. So you, you'll see a lot of that less touch points, um, a focus on trying to limit the use of human labor and then, you know, how they continue to run lean and create revenue and, and move forward and, and compensate for the losses for those that did. There are many businesses that were actually very successful and up during COVID because they were already set up for off-premise sales and things of that nature. Yeah, it's the unintended consequences that, as you say, think, you know, people are innovating. And now, as you mentioned, these, you know, fewer touch points. Um, it's obviously affected supply chains. People are having to, you know, kind of change, you know, change a lot of those practices. It's it's all very interesting, and you're right there in the middle of it, and you're and you're being successful. And I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of sharing with us, you know, the changes and some of the the key takeaways that that you have found that have enabled you to get here. I love your uh, your comment about finding an advocate. Um, I. I have witnessed that where people have an advocate internally and they do, they do well, they do get exposed to the right people. And, 
I mean, I, I think that's, that, that's my big takeaway. And, and I wish, I wish there was an easier way to find that advocate. I, I don't know that if your if your company doesn't offer that, you know, you just have to go out and, and search for it, look for it. You do. It, it's, it's tough. You know, you don't want to just randomly go up to a leader and go, Hey, Will you take care of me? <laughs> or hey, will you advocate on my on my behalf? Can can you help me be successful? You you can't really just go up to someone and ask that, but you can be observant, listen, watch different leaders or different folks in your company and, and how they are and gravitate yourself towards them. You know, see how you can hitch your wagon, not to sound like a southerner from Alabama, but you know, how you can hitch your wagon to that individual to, to see how, how they got in the position they're in, you know, what did they do? What advice can they, can they offer you? But again, you know, back to some of the, the key things that come to mind with the original question that you had for me, right? How do you advance in food service? Like not even just as a woman, but you know, in food services, you know, you gotta be willing to take on the hard stuff. Don't shy away from the hard stuff because it, it, those types of projects will get you cross cross-departmental exposure that will, you won't have to advocate for yourself. People, you won't have to tell your story. Other people will speak to how successful and, and what you did to make that successful. Engagement and network with others. We didn't talk about that, but the networking aspect of it and really engaging others that, like I mentioned earlier, that you can, that you see as a success and you really like how they are as a person, you know, how can you, not mirror yourself out after them, but really learn from them. And again, it may not be a just a woman. It could be a man. Most of the biggest advocates in my life have been men that were gender blind, you know, to, to, to who we were. And they just wanted to put the right people in the right places. And then the other one is you got to learn how to advocate for yourself. I think from a female perspective, many of us have a tendency to want to be liked versus want to be heard. And we, we take a step back sometimes and it's okay to have an opinion. You know, it's okay to speak up and, and it's okay to have a voice. There's a book that I recommend for everyone to read called the likability trap. It's by Alicia Menendez. And it talks about that specifically and not just specific to gender, but also race and things of that nature too. But really good book. Um, it's entertaining as well as it is um, eye opening. I like your approach of how to go to someone who you're gravitating toward in an organization. You just don't come off and ask them to, to mentor them, but you, you kind of work into it, right? It kind of slowly happens and unfolds. And I, I think that's a good strategy is to just take it slow. And maybe you're in a situation where you could use a little advice and you just say, Hey, I'm in kind of a tough spot. You know, maybe you could shed a little bit of light on this and maybe kind of respond, see how they re- respond to you. And that might give you the clue that this person would be willing to maybe, you know, offer more. Yep. That's a great idea. I love people to, you know, promote their companies. If there are opportunities, if there are needs out there, we've got a lot of different people that listen to this podcast. If they love the idea of what you're doing there and they want to, you know, eventually be part of it, are there opportunities, uh, future, you know, future projects where you might be looking for people that uh, you would want people to, you know, kind of just reach out to you at some point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our businesses are always looking to diversify their product line and their product mixes. I know that comes up a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot of different products that are out there that are innovative, just like the analogy you were making in the the path we sort of went down with, with plant-based products. It's a natural fit 
you know, in with the produce and agriculture space. You know, we we have a procurement office, we have a sales team, we have a marketing department. All of them are always looking for different ways for us to innovate, for us to find new go-to-market items. And then we also have a customer base that um, any of those items that are also easily presentable to that group. And then, you know, there's just... There's lots of different things in supply chain, in transportation, in agriculture, like I mentioned, and in distribution that could be a good fit from products, from services, et cetera, that, that may, that we, we all, we're always open to hearing and learning new things from other companies. Well, Chrissy, this has been very enlightening. Thank you.